Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Before I get started, I want to I want to read something from the Cook family. It's a card saying thank you to the Central Church. Just saying two small words to express such gratitude. Thank you so much for your cards, words of support and love during our difficult time, the Cook family. But Tom also wanted me to read something to all of you. It says, the Cook family has been directly associated with this congregation through individual membership for the past 47 years. During those years, so much has happened, but one thing has remained constant, your unwavering, steadfast love and support for our entire family. Our family has grown considerably larger through successful generations during those years, but now we have reached the point that we must say goodbye for now to our patriarch, our leader, and our role model. Although our family is planning to celebrate his life and legacy with you next spring, the family wants to express today our deepest and most sincere appreciation for your exceptional and uncommon love, support, encouragement, and fellowship for so many years. Be assured that your kindness and generosity were consistently recognized and expressed with words of love and deep gratitude for you during so many family gatherings. Thank you also for so many beautiful cards, prayers, and consoling words in the recent weeks. Sincerely, the Cook family. And I'll, I'll post this on the board out in the foyer. Which really, this will help explain why I'm beginning this new series. The series over the next couple of weeks is going to be all about healing. And the reason I decided to do this series is because several weeks ago someone called me and was talking about how so many of our church family has lost loved ones this year and how it's been really, really hard on many of them. And so this person just said, man, it would be awesome if we could have a lesson or maybe a series of lessons to help those who are going through these things. And I thought that's, that's a great idea. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. In our first lesson on healing, we're going to talk about the healing from grief. And today we're going to use what I feel like is the greatest biblical example of someone who experienced grief, and that would have to be Job. I mean, Job went through a series of terrible losses. And, and if you don't know the story, I'll just share some of those losses with you. First of all, Job lost his wealth. Job was extremely wealthy, and Job chapter 1 Starting in verse 3, this is what it says about him. And in his wealth, he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. Now, several years ago, someone contacted the, the livestock exchange, and they determined what 
Job's livestock value would be today, and it came to roughly around $7 million. And so Job was very, very wealthy. But here's the deal. In a matter of just a couple of hours, Job lost everything. His oxen was stolen. Fire consumed his sheep. Rustlers raided his camels. And just about every single one of his servants were killed trying to protect Job's livestock. And here's the thing. There was no such thing during that day and time as insurance policies. And so Job was unable to recover any of this stuff. And so literally, in a matter of hours, Job went from the penthouse to the poorhouse. And here's what we need to understand about grief. Grief is an emotion that we experience when we lose something valuable to us. And so as we talk about grief this morning, we're not just talking about losing a loved one. That's definitely a part of it, but that would also, grief also can include the loss of possessions or the loss of a position or the loss of a relationship. I, I know that there have been people who have had to relocate and they've had to leave our church family here at Central and, and I've talked to them and several months later they are still grieving being apart from you guys. I mean, even though they've, they've been searching and they've been attending other congregations and in other places, they're still grieving not being able to be here with you. Well, Job lost his possessions. But then he lost something even more valuable, and this is just really hard to fathom. He lost his children. If you go back to Job chapter 1 verse 2, it tells us that he had seven sons and he had three daughters. He had ten kids in all. And well, in Job chapter 1 verse 18, notice what it says. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And so in a matter of hours, Job not only lost his wealth, but he lost his children. And losing a child is... Well, it's terrible. It, it hurts. It doesn't feel right. Any preacher will tell you some of the worst funerals you will ever do is for someone who is young. I've had several of those over the course of my 24 years of ministry. I did the funeral for a teenage girl who was killed in a, in a car wreck instantly. I did another funeral for a toddler who died of SIDS. And it was some of the worst funerals that I've ever had to, to do. It's, it's hard to lose a child. It's hard to lose someone who is, is young. And yet, Job not only lost one child, he lost all ten 
of his kids. And, and instantly, you know, if someone dies slowly, there's an opportunity to express love and, and to say goodbye. But when someone dies unexpectedly, like in a, in a car accident, or, or maybe they have a heart attack or a stroke, then oftentimes people feel cheated. They didn't have that opportunity to say goodbye. And so Job loses all of his children instantly. And so imagine the grief that he went through. But then in addition to losing his wealth and his children, the Bible also tells us that he lost his health. If you look at Job chapter 2 now, verses 7 through 8, it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and he began to scrape himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Can you imagine that? Being covered from the bottom of your, of your feet to the, to the top of your head with festering boils. The Bible goes on to talk about how through all of that, Job became very thin. He lost weight. He dealt with fever. He dealt with pain, the Bible says, day and night. And it got to the point where it says in Job chapter 2, verse 12, that when his friends see him, his health was so poor that they could hardly recognize him. But let me also say this. It's not uncommon for a person who's enduring intense grief to also have health problems, insomnia, exhaustion, headaches, loss or increase of appetite, anxiety, depression, dreams about those who are lost. In the book, Facing Death After the Life After, it says, after a personal loss, people think that nothing looks the same. Food loses its flavor. Music seems hollow. Nothing satisfied. Tears come at strange time, often for no apparent reason. The bereaved person may see someone walking down the street who looks like the person who died, and pain comes without warning. Well, Job was dealing with intense grief. He not only lost his wealth, he not only lost his children, but he also lost his health. And it doesn't get any easier because as we continue to receive, as we continue to read, Job then received some terrible counsel. It started with his wife. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, it says, His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Notice what Job says to him. She says, Job, she says, why don't you give up? Don't you, don't you understand that, that God really doesn't love you? Or, or if there is a God, or I mean, how, how could you believe in, in a God like this? I mean, I mean, look at you. Look at all you've been through. And so oftentimes as we read about Job's wife, we can become very critical. But one of the things that we have to remember about Job's wife is that she lost everything as well, right? She had been rich and now she's poor. She had ten children and now there's an empty nest 
She had a healthy husband at one point, and, and now she was having to take care of him. And so she just couldn't understand why a loving God would let such tragedy happen to such a good man. And she became very, very bitter. And so she said, Job, just curse God and die. You know, those who have studied the grieving process say that it's normal to go through kind of a, a cycle of emotions. And it, and it kind of looks like this. First, there's, there's shock. You're, you're stunned at the news. You don't know how to react. It seems unreal. Then there's denial. This, this can't be really happening. I mean, at any moment, I'm, I'm going to wake up and, and they're, they're going to walk through the door. Then there's anger, and this is where Job's wife was at. Sometimes there's bitterness toward God for not preventing it. Sometimes there's even anger, anger towards the deceased. And then there's depression. You experience times of sorrow that drags on for months. One day you're restless, another day you're apathetic, then the next you're, you think you're doing okay, then a birthday comes up or an anniversary or a holiday arises and you're overcome with memories and loneliness and it all starts back over again. And then lastly, there's acceptance and returning to life. And this is where slowly the grieving person gets back to the mainstream of life. No, life will never be the same, but life does resume. The sun continues to rise and, and there is still joy. But at this point, Job's wife is angry. And her counsel to Job was, why don't you just curse God and die? And she wasn't the only one who gave bad advice. Job had three friends. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, When Job's three friends, and I'm not going to read those names, we'll start right here, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, I realize that oftentimes not only is Job's wife criticized, but also Job's friends are criticized as well for their advice. But I will say this, his three friends did do some things right. And I want to share some of these things with you because even if you're not going through the grieving process right now, for those of us who aren't grieving, these are some things that we need to see. These are some things that we need to know so that we can minister to those who are grieving and going through some sort of loss. First of all, notice that Job's friends, they cared enough to come. And that's very important because so oftentimes where, where we can get to in our minds is, you know what, I just don't know what to say and I just don't know what to do. And so if I go to the funeral home, if, if, if I go to their house, it's, it's, it's just going to be awkward. And, and so it's better for me to just stay away. 
Listen, the worst thing that we can do when someone's experiencing grief is to do nothing. We need to be there. But then also something else that they did right is they kept silent. Again, going back to to what we oftentimes wonder when someone is hurting and grieving, what should I say? You know, I, I just don't know what I could say to make anything better. Well, you don't have to say anything because more than likely what you say is not going to make anything better. And so it's okay to be silent, to just be there. Job's friends, they, they were there for a week and they didn't say a word. In an article that someone compiled they shared a list of things that we can do to help those who are grieving. And I want to share some of these with you this morning as well. It says, don't avoid the person who mourns. They need you. Don't worry about the right thing to say. Just be there. Don't treat the survivor in the family differently. For example, if you would have invited the couple to the party, then you invite the widow or the widower to the party. Do understand that the grieving process can go on a long time. Six months later, when you go on with life and you ask them how they're doing, they're going to say, fine, but please be a little bit sensitive to the fact that they're really not doing fine yet. Don't think it necessary to bring it up every time you see them. Don't always say, how are you doing? And don't say, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there because different losses produce different feelings. Do allow for recovery. The survivor is not always going to feel badly. Let them be happy and know that their emotions fluctuate and, don't be, and, and do be willing to reminisce. Sometimes they just want to talk about the loved one who died. Don't change the subject. Let them talk. Let them cry. Let them laugh. They want to appreciate those memories over again. And do remember that the time you are needed may not be immediate. Everyone comes immediately, but six or eight eight weeks later, when everyone else is gone, that may be when you are needed the most. Well, Job's Job's friends came and they sat there in silence. They showed up. They were there for Job, and it's like one psychiatrist said, if, if they had just left it at that, right? If they would have just showed up and, and just sat there in silent, his three friends would have gone down in history as being the best friends and the best counselors ever. But then you remember they began to speak, and that's when things went south. And, and I'm, I don't have time to get into all that. But let's talk about how Job responded to his grief and his losses. And for some of you who know the story of Job, this may shock some of you. Because so oftentimes when we talk about grief and we talk about Job, we talk about his patience through all of that. And and we talk about how he had this amazing faith through all of that. And, And he did. And in fact, in Job chapter 1, verse 21... As he's going through this, this is Job's response. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but what, church? But blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, Job had this tremendous faith, but here's what I've often noticed. When people go through grief, one day they can be full of faith 
And then the next day they can be full of doubt. And that's exactly what we see in the story of Job. And, and oftentimes we, we fail to mention this, but in Job chapter 10, verse 1, notice what Job says. He says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in bitterness of my soul. He goes on in chapter 23, verse 2, he says, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand, talking about God, is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. In other words, Job is saying, God, explain this to me. Why am I going through this? And, and, and understand, this is the same guy in Job chapter 13, verse 15, who says, even if, even if he slays me, I will trust him. But now he is he's complaining against God. He's just really frustrated. He's saying, God, I am bitter. And sometimes there's that fluctuation of emotions. There may come a period of mourning and complaining just as Job began to mourn and, and complain against God, but then it was God's time to reply. You see, God, and, and I was telling this to someone just the other day, and we see this throughout Scripture, God allows us to wrestle with Him at times. There may be some of you who are grieving right now. You don't understand. You're, you're upset uh, about your loss. And, and maybe you've been wrestling with God. You're, you're going to God and you're saying, God, I don't understand this. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? And, and the amazing thing is, is God is so loving and He's, he's so patient and, and He allows us to wrestle with Him. But be prepared for His response. God finally responds to Job. And it's kind of interesting. God doesn't give Job an apology for why bad things happen to good people. He doesn't even really explain suffering. God just reminds Job of who he is. And so in Job chapter 38, this is what it says... Where were you? This is God asking Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimension and stretched out the surveying line? Can you explain the east winds and where they come from? Job, can you hold back the stars? Are you familiar with how the mountain goat gives birth? Can you explain how a hawk is able to fly or how an eagle builds its nest on a cliff or, or how a fish can swim? In other words, what, what God is saying to Job is, Job, remember, you are the creature and I am the creator. And even though you may not understand everything that I do, he says, your role, Job, is, is to trust me. Trust me. I think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, where wise King Solomon penned these words, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own what? On your own understanding. Sometimes that's really hard. 
And so we wrestle. But by the end, this was Job's response to God's reply. Job chapter 42, verse 3, he says, Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Notice Job went through that whole cycle to where he finally came to acceptance. Even though he couldn't explain it, he trusted. And God blessed him through that. If you jump to the end, Job chapter 42 verse 10, it says, The Lord made him prosperous again and gave him how much, church? Twice as much as he had before. So in the beginning, remember Job lost 7,000 sheep. Well, guess what? God gave him 14,000 sheep in return. In the beginning, Job lost 3,000 camels. God gave him 6,000 camels in return. He lost 500 donkeys and he lost 500 oxen. And, and God gave him 1,000 donkeys and 1,000 and oxen in, re, in return. And then he also gave him 10 more children. You say, well, why didn't he double it like everything else? And I can't say that I know the answer to that, but maybe it was because Job really hadn't lost the other ten. He was just temporarily separated from them, right? Remember what, remember what David said in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23? He went through this period of mourning when his, when his son was sick, and then once his son died, he, I mean... He, he became a, a different person. He no longer mourned. He no longer grieved. And, and his counselors and advisors and leaders, they were just, they were blown away. They're like, what, what's going on? And this is, what, this is what David says. He says, I can't bring him back to me. He says, but one day I'll go to him. When Job gets to heaven one day, he'll have 20 children. heard about an old preacher whose wife died and people would often say, sorry for your loss. And he would always reply back, and I love this, he says, things are not lost if you know its location. Let me share with you three things before I close out this morning. Three things that I feel like are important for us to know. Grief is inevitable. And so expect it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, why Solomon penned these words, he says, There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. There, there is a time. There's, there's coming a time for all of us, even if we're not experiencing this right now. In other words, it's really naive to go through this life thinking to ourselves, this, this will never happen to me. It, it will if we live long enough. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but if we live long enough, there's going to come that time. And so, here's point number two, faith is essential. And so we need to hold on to it. 
I, I love when I hear Christians use phrases like these as they're going through something similar. I don't know how people go through things like this without the Lord. Amen. I don't know how people go through this without a church family. It hurts, they say, but I'm, I'm sustained by the hope of seeing them again. I'm comforted by the fact that one day God is, is going to make all things right, that there's going to be a reunion today. Man, I love hearing that. Because that's the hope we have as Christians. I'm thinking about what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a what? For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You may want to underline that in your Bible. A little while. In other words, it's temporary. There's, there's going to come a day, guys, when God is going to wipe away all our tears and there's going to be no more pain, and there's going to be no more sorrow, and there's going to be no more death. He tells us that. He promises that in His Word. Revelation 21, verse 4. And we hold on to that. We sang a song just a few minutes ago before I stood up. It is well with my soul. I love that song. I don't necessarily like the way they do it in the praise and harmony because <laughs> I can't figure out the, the, the pattern, you know, and, and I, I apologize for that, but I, I want you guys to sing that song today because how many of you know the real backstory of that song? Few of you do. In 1871, Horatio Spafford the writer of that song lost his only son. Shortly after that came the great fire in Chicago and he lost all of his wealth. In 1873, he's getting ready to take his family to Europe by boat. Something comes up at work and so he tells his family, look, you just go on ahead without me and I, I will meet you over there. And so his four daughters and his wife, they're on a boat out in the Atlantic. They collide with another boat. The ship sinks rapidly and all four of his daughters die. His wife is the only one left. And she sends word to him saying, saved alone. And so shortly after that, Spafford gets on a boat to go meet his grieving wife. And as he comes to the very spot where the ship went down and he lost his four daughters, he penned the words, he wrote the song, It is well with my soul. Powerful song. I can't even begin to imagine the grief, the emotions, all that he went through. But because of his faith in God, he could pin those words, it is well with my soul. Our faith is essential. Hold on to it. And then lastly, let me say this. Life is valuable. Live it. Live it. 
Listen, there's a, there's a time to weep, but there's a time to laugh. Solomon says there's a time to grieve, but there's a time to dance and, and, and to have joy. And, and there comes a time when, when you have to go on with life. When you have joy again, when you're, when you're able to, to laugh again and, and understand that you are valuable. Your, your life is valuable. God has you here for a purpose. He has a plan for you. It may be that someone needs your smile or someone needs a hug from you or someone needs to know about Christ from you. But you are valuable and you take this life by the horns and you live it. I know that life will never be the same for those of you who have experienced this. But understand, and I'll leave you with this, that God can restore your joy. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 13 says, I will turn their mourning, this is God speaking, into gladness. I will give them comfort and what church? And joy instead of sorrow. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. And Father, I just want to lift up those who are grieving right now. They're hurting. And Father, we know that you know everything that's going on in our lives. The Bible even says that you collect our tears in your bottle. And Father, that's, that's so comforting to know that you know what we're going through. Father, we also just take comfort in the fact that one day we're not going to have to deal with all this stuff anymore. We have the hope of just being with you in heaven, a place that's perfect, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more grieving. Father, we also just want to thank you for the joy that you give us. Even in times of sorrow, even in, in times when, when we're hurting, we know that you have the power to heal our hearts. And so, Father, I, I know that there are some here this morning who've been grieving for some time. They're hurting. And Father, we just pray that you would comfort them, as the Scripture says, and that you would give them joy once again, that you would turn their sorrow into dancing. Father, we especially thank you for Jesus. Because, Father, we know that we would all be lost without him. And so, Father, we just we rejoice today because... Jesus is our hope. He is our salvation. And we know that one day all of this will be over and we'll be able to be with you. Father, we just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I just want to say this morning that if you have never given your life to Jesus, we would love to talk to you about Him. 
It's only through Christ and His blood that all of our sins can be dealt with and, and taken away. And so we would love to tell you about Jesus. Um, if, if you're here today and, and you're grieving, you're, you're going through something right now and you just need uh, someone that you can talk to, our, our elders would love to talk to you and minister to you. I would love to talk to you and minister to you. You can reach out to me through phone or, or text or, or however you want to do it, or we can meet after services, but we would love to lift you up before God, the one who can truly heal your heart and remove that grief. And so today we just um, we want to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made as as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I believe David's going to come up and, and lead us in that.